1: Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso. He will join us in just moments. Coming up on Fast, President Trump gets ghosted, snap-drawing a big line in the sand when it comes to content. We're breaking down the investor impact straight ahead. Plus, Simon says... No deal? Why a $3.5 billion mall merger could be in danger of going bust. And later, keeping up appearances, the one beauty stock that got a nice pop today. And it's all thanks to Kim Kardashian. But we start with another big rally on Wall Street. The Dow back above 26,000. The S&P 500 up for a fourth straight day. It's just 8% away from its record high. Yet a few uh, big clouds still hang over the market. First, there's a threat that civil unrest will derail plans to reopen the economy. Add to that the rising tensions with China, the White House blocking Chinese airlines from flying to the United States, and of course, the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. So clearly, plenty of reasons for investors to be worried. And yet here we are, stocks are sitting at three-month highs. So Guy, what is that expression that you like to say? Uh, bad news, good price action, something along those. I mean, is that what we're seeing in the markets here?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, pretty much. And, and don't label me some raging bull because I haven't been. Obviously, Tim, Steve, I mean, there are other people that have I don't know if they've necessarily seen the extent of this, but they've clearly said the paying trade is higher. And that's been correct. I think what it comes down to is, would you rather be right or would you rather make money? Because as your point is, all the warning signs are clearly there. But, you know, if your stock goes from $5 to $10, you've doubled your money regardless of the reasons why. And that's what it comes down to. But one other thing I'll throw out there, just because on top of everything you mentioned... You know, even if you assume, and again, I know valuations don't necessarily matter, but at a certain point they do. You know, even if you assume $130 worth of earnings, you're talking about an S&P 500 now that's trading 24 times. I mean, that is a lofty level. And you're talking about an S&P 500 right now with, you know, uh, S&P 500 over GDP probably approaching 150%, which was the warning sign back in the fall. Again, nobody seems to care because you have not only our Federal Reserve but now you have the majority of Europe, including Germany, uh, going down the same path. I don't know how this ends, but right now the market is just focused on that, in my opinion. We've
1: got that wave of liquidity from around the world. Um, but also we are starting to see some green shoots when it comes to some of the economic data, ADP coming out. And it was orders of magnitude, Tim, better than what was expected. It was a decline of uh, 2.7 versus what was expected, which is north of uh, 8 in terms of a decline.
3: Yeah. And, and there there may be some statistical outliers of that that make that number a little funky. The payroll number on Friday, uh, I think we're expecting uh, what's interesting about it, you're going to you're going to lose 13.5 million jobs, but you're going to have rehiring of eight point eight net now minus four point seven. I mean, this is this is kind of where we are with unemployment is going to be at 17.2 hard to do cartwheels. Um, but relative victories, possibly. Um, I I, I do think, you know, it's funny, because as we talk about the market, um, and Guy references this too, we we, we, we rarely talk about the volatility to the upside. And and so I don't think we're going to have a market special today uh, on, on the upside. But the, but the reality is um, it's been extraordinary and it has been ferocious. And you mentioned the rest of the world. Uh, the ECB meets tomorrow and they're going to be re, you know, reignite their bond buying program. European stocks are up 21 percent in two weeks. The DAX has outperformed the S&P by 13 percent in the last 15 days. Emerging markets um, have been on a tear. A- and you get to a place where you start to wonder where there's still something left in a bunch of these rallies. If you look at the S&P, which has now spent six days above the 200 moving day average, uh, and you look at relative strength indicators and all those things that got to a- obscene lows and, and, and almost record lows um, at the bottom on March 13th, you, you have And 77 RSI, which anything above 70 tells you you're at least in in frothy territory if you're looking at a nine day RSI. So I I don't want to bore you with those numbers. I just want to tell you that if you look at the dollar and you look at the S&P, you have two things that are either oversold or overbought in the short term. And that's something that I, I actually think you have to correct out.
1: Karen, you're a value investor, so as you look at the markets and you see things like today's uh, 3.8% gain in financials, more than 3% uh, gain in industrials, do you start thinking to yourself, value is harder to find, or put it another way, would you start thinking about trimming some of the winners?
4: Yes, I definitely would. I find days like this, you know, it's nice. You come in long, we make money. But, you know, how do you navigate this market? I, I feel actually more comfortable knowing what to do in a big down market. So I'm looking at something like a URI, which I believe is up over 100% from the bottom. And I still like the name. Um, so what do you do? This is this rally, I think, is probably pretty long in the tooth. I looked um, just a few minutes ago at some of the out-of-the-money calls the volatility there is very high so you can get a you could get a lot of premium so i'm probably going to do that um, for the banks i think there's probably a little bit more room to run there but you know if this happens another day or two of the same kind of action i will look to sell some upside calls there as well and and then i'm also looking at the volatility index in the market at large still stuck i think is 25 26 in there um, that would, you know, six months ago, that would have been way too high for me to consider buying. But we're kind of in a new world now, so I'm going to again look at buying protection.
1: Yeah, and I don't want to get too options actiony because that happens on Friday at 5:30 p.m. Eastern Time. But Guy Dami, <laughs> I know it's your favorite show. Uh, yeah. You know, these are strategies that maybe investors now sh- should actually consider because, as Karen mentioned, volatility is high. Um, stocks have had a nice run, and there are ways to either protect that. Or to implement an option strategy which might replace your stock position,
2: It makes a lot of sense, and I mean I can't speak to individual vols in these names, but to Karen 's point, on a broader level, you, know, you can take advantage of some of the moves on the upside, and you know, you could stay with your long stock, you know sell some upside calls against it. Worst case is you'll get called away, but you also earn that premium that, to Karen 's point, is still lofty. So there are ways clearly to take advantage of this, and you know it's interesting. Directionally, market-wise, you know, I definitely haven't been right, but we've caught some decent moves. And, for example, uh, the Delta Airlines news, I think it was May 16th when they said they were reducing their pilot force by in half. I mean, that marked the bottom, and we discussed it. But from 18 to 28, if you're in that name, you could sell some upside calls against that. And, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. So I think Karen's strategy makes a lot of sense, and you are correct. My favorite show outside of mash reruns is Options Action's Fridays at five thirty.
1: Uh, I'm sure Tony, Mike, and Carter really appreciate that, as do I, Guy. Um, Tim, in terms of some of these rally stocks rallying strongly off the bottom, and, and there's so many stocks, obviously, since the whole market has rallied off the bottom. But in particular, as Guy mentioned, if you invested in an airline, in a cruise line, and you know all these the yeah. reopening trade sort of names, would you trim those at this point?
3: And, and Guy's got a lot of Hawkeye Pierce to him. Um, but I, what I would say is if, if you have to choose between some of these recovery trades, look at it. That's a match reference, by the way. Look at some of these airlines uh, and, and he, why are airlines rallying? Well, um, Guy talked about the, the pilots that were laid off, but airlines have only retired about three percent of, of their airplanes, meaning capacity cuts can actually be put back into place. And, and it's, it's just it, it's just a timing trade, really. I think this is uh, the, the, the story.
1: Uh, Steve Grasso joins us by phone. Uh, t- technology doesn't always work for us these days. Uh, Steve Grosso, what did you make of today's market action?
5: Yeah, yeah. so I, I was. you can hear me now, right? Yep. Just confirming. Okay, so, so I, I heard most of the other traders, what they were talking about. When you have something, when a market is so offside the way we've been, so offside to the downside, then you get a big beat in auto sales, a big beat in China service PMI. Uh, I, you start to look at where... The dollar's falling, values coming on. So it's catching a lot of people off guard. And when you do that, people have to catch up. So they buy the things that they need to buy. They weren't, they weren't invested in that value trade and they weren't invested enough in the overall market to begin with. So they have to chase. And then we start ripping through some of these technical levels in the S&P. We stayed above the 200 day moving average, which was 3000. Now we're heading towards basically, we're closing in on old highs and trying to make new highs. So I think it's a testament to that everyone just figured we were going to have a second uh, issue with the virus when we started to restart the economy. And we haven't seen that yet. It's early, but people were caught off sides, plain and simple.
1: All right. Let's talk a little bit more about today's Move Higher. Joining us on the CNBC Newsline, Mandy Zhu, the chief equity derivative strategist at Credit Suisse. Mandy, always great to speak with you.
6: Thanks, Melissa. Great to be
1: here. Um, you note know that for the first time in this rally, options traders are actually chasing this. What, what does that mean? Is that a contrarian indicator? Does that confirm the rally?
6: Yes, I, I would highlight, I would echo what Steve just said, which is, you know, investors have been very much caught offside on this rally. And what we're starting to see is a little bit of a panic buying of upside, that FOMO, uh, we're starting to see it in the options market. And In particular, one dynamic that is, you know, I don't want to get too technical, but you know, what we're seeing right now in the option market is on market up days, option implied volatilities are actually going higher, which is actually fairly rare. But typically, it's only on market down days we see that dynamic. And what this is really indicative is two things. One, traders are starting to price in, higher probability of upside, you know, the higher risk of upside. And B, it's really driven by the flows that we're seeing where now for the first time uh, in a while, we're starting to see some chunky upside calls being bought in the market. I think the last time, the last few times I was on the call, uh, on the show with you guys, I highlighted, you know, how despite the rally, all the clothes that we saw from clients were all protection buyers, right? Mm -hmm. That has changed. That's been the big, I think a big notable change in the option market over the past two weeks. Is that upside chasing that we're starting to see, uh, and particularly, I would highlight that's been happening uh, at, at the sector level in the value sectors, so like financials, industrials, etc. The beaten up sectors—that's uh, where we're seeing the most um, most bullish activity.
1: In terms of when when you would say you know maybe investors are questioning uh, that sort of FOMO move, would that be when the relationship between the move higher and implied volatility comes comes back? To, to the norm, so in opposite directions?
6: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, so this dynamic of, you know, market vault uh, up um, can be a concurrent signal, so, you know, in particular, like, you know, you look at, for example, January of 2018, that was another month where S&P rallied, you know, I think, over 5% in the month, and we had that very notable spot of ball up vault dynamic, obviously, that was ultimately followed by a pretty sharp pullback in yes. February, so that could be um, a uh indicator. But I would, one thing that maybe I would just highlight here is that, you know, markets are back, you know, near the highs. NASDAQ is, you know, at all time highs. Um, but I would actually say the rally has felt to me at least uh, in two, two different drivers. So initial rally, I would characterize it actually been quite defensive in the sense that it was largely led by a few mega cap tech names, right? So if you look at the names the stocks that are most sensitive to the underlying economic growth, Right, so financials, industrials, etc. Those means those sectors, didn't really rally along with the market, and it wasn't until the past two weeks that we're starting to see them really start to outperform. So I would say only in the past two weeks have we started to see investors turn more optimistic on the shape of the economic recovery. So despite you know markets been rallying since March, I would say we're 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 in a different stage now than we were in April or March. Uh, Steve
5: Gross has got a question, Steve. So, Mandy, when you talk about value coming on now, people chasing value, and you think that's a negative for the overall market, when you look at the spread between value and growth, these are levels that we have not seen since 1977, basically. And the biggest drivers for rotation are a falling U.S. dollar, better economic data, and a steeper yield curve. Those are all happening right now. Is there any way that this can be a good thing in your mind if you, if you flip it on its head?
6: Yeah, no. So I I I would agree. So for us, you know, when we look back historically to see when value has sustainably outperformed growth, it's always against the backdrop of accelerating economic growth, right? Which clearly, you know, is a risk here. Like it could happen, right? Um, but you know, this is not the first time we've seen this type of sharp rotation. We actually highlighted, for example, last September. Um, as well as fourth quarter of the eighteen, we saw similar sharp rotations away from growth into value that ultimately was actually pretty short-lived. Um, and there it was really because economic growth subsequently didn't accelerate, didn't pick up. Um, and, and that's why you know that rotation was short-lived. So to me, for those locations to have legs, we really do need to see you know, much better economic data in, in the coming weeks and months.
1: All right, Manny, we're going to let you go. Thanks so much for your time. We do appreciate it. Mandy Zhu of Credit Suisse. She also believes the markets uh, could be vulnerable for a 10 percent pullback, which is what so many strategists come on here and say, Tim, I don't know what it is about that 10 percent number or what level, you know, what it is about that. But uh, 10 percent seems to be the, the magic downside risk number.
3: Right. Well, correction kind of, you know, by definition, yeah. you know, that's where you are. Also, relative to the moves we've had, 10% seems like, yeah, this is fair. We could take a breather down 10%. Normally, a 10% pullback is quite, quite painful. Um, I think the expectation, let's be clear, this is going to pretty be a pretty funny shaped W um, no matter what it looks like. Because if you look at semiconductors, they're all that we talked about. She talked about the NASDAQ. Semiconductors are all the way back to their highs. Um, and so, you know, these, these, prognostications. When analysts have decided to throw 2020 and largely 2021 earnings out the window and the Fed is here, I mean, Karen talked about the VIX. I, I think the VIX can go lower. Um, I think as long as the Fed is where they are, I think the VIX is, is going to be damped down. And that's, that's really the trend of the last couple of years.
4: Yeah. Karen, last thoughts? Well, I like that she did say she's seeing a volatility rise in the options for the industrials and the financials, because that's exactly what I'm looking to maybe be on the other side of to take a little risk off the table. All right. Coming
1: up, China tensions on the rise with the U.S. just announced that sent domestic airline stocks soaring today in slack. Getting ready to report earnings tomorrow. Will the ultimate work from home play live up to expectations? Fast Money back into. Welcome back to Fast Money. U.S. airline stock soaring today after the Trump administration announced it will ban Chinese passenger airlines from flying into the United States. Let's get to Phil LeBeau. got all the details. Phil.
8: Melissa, the U.S. and China have been negotiating for several weeks about the resumption of flights by U.S. carriers. When we're talking about Delta, American and United from the U.S., Back to China. Remember that they stopped back in January. Well, they couldn't come to an agreement, so starting on June 16th, the U.S. has said, you know what, we're not going to let the Chinese continue flying in here. That impacts four Chinese airlines, and they are essentially, the, tra- the Department of Transportation, essentially cutting service, passenger service between China and the United States. Remember, they've been flying about 34 flights a week, Chinese airlines, From China into the US, coming into New York, Chicago, Los Angeles. Not a huge load of flights, but enough that the Department of Transportation has said, you know what? We're not going to do that anymore. So as you take a look at the ADRs of a couple of the Chinese airlines that do trade here in the United States, we're talking about China Southern as well as China Eastern. Keep in mind that these are the two largest airline markets in the world. In 2018, there were more than 8.5 million people who flew between the two countries. As for Delta, United, and American, look, they moved higher along with the rest of the airline stocks today. The U.S. airlines, remember, they suspended their operations to China back on January 31st. That's when President Trump put the restrictions in on Chinese nationals coming into the U.S. due to COVID-19. And again, they've been negotiating, trying to figure out a way to resume these flights, how often they would happen, the schedules, et cetera. And as those talks dragged on, eventually the Department of Transportation said, enough's enough. We're just going to not let you fly here until we can get this worked out.
1: Phil, um, once upon a time, China was seen as a huge growth market for the U.S. airlines. Sure. So if you had to take that out permanently, what, what would that mean to the industry?
8: Oh, it's huge. It's huge. China is, a, especially when you take a look at uh, an airline like United, China has been really the beachhead for their Asia-Pacific routes. And from there, they've been able to further expand their offerings uh, throughout Asia. And so if you took it away permanently, and nobody expects it to go away permanently, it would have a huge Im- uh, implications for United, Delta, and American. But again, the, the hope is and the belief is within the airline industry, eventually they will figure out a way to get these schedules going again. And especially if you have COVID-19 easing at some point in the mm-hmm. future, you want that traffic to resume again. Sure. And the belief is that that eventually will.
1: All right, Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau. I mean, that's the key, right? Well, when will people feel comfortable uh, with flying Delta today, saying that it would continue to not uh, take middle seat reservations until the end of September? Uh, Karen, how, how are you feeling about the airlines now that it seems like the airlines may be through the
4: worst? I think I mean, maybe through the worst. I don't know if. Um I don't own any is the short answer, but, you know, I'm concerned about the airlines. I hope they all do well and survive. If I had to pick one, I'd probably go with Southwestern to um, Southwest because I think that I want to be just in the U.S. And in terms of the balance sheets, I think they're in the best shape. I, I saw Delta de- debt was downgraded a little bit today. Um, I, I, I wish them well, but I can't, I can't get on board. They're just losing too much money. Yeah. Tim?
3: I think for airlines, the, the question of recovery is timing, not if. Uh, and so, yes, I understand where capacity cuts have gone. Delta also announced today that, that first class capacity will be down 50. They'll, they'll basically cut seats 50%, uh, main cabin, they'll cut them 60%. I think that's about giving people more confidence to get back on those planes. Um, and I also think that the more that people have had this, this, this visceral reaction to some of those, uh, those visuals we showed on our show and other people know about where a sneeze goes around an airplane, um, that actually, I think, ultimately allows it to kind of organically shake out. And I think that's part of what uh, we're seeing. It's exactly how we've seen the, re- the return to airline stocks as investments. It's almost as people have assessed uh, the risks in flying themselves. So um, I think capacity cuts are not permanent. And, and I think airlines, you know, we talked about that Jets ETF. If you want to play the sector, That's one way to do it. But but Delta Airlines has the best balance sheet of the major carriers. Karen talked about Southwest for the U.S.
1: Fun fact about the Jets ETF, 64th consecutive day of inflows into that ETF, according to Bloomberg. Um, So this was really catching a lot of uh, attention, probably by retail investors. Guy Adami, you know, Boeing has been working really hard in terms of trying to figure out um, filtration systems, ways to circulate the air in a cabin that would make it safer for people. Uh, Boeing, by the way, had a huge pop in today's session.
2: Huge move today, and I I hope they figure it out. With that said, I mean, when you're sitting on top of somebody on some of these planes, as you know, I mean, it's a little cramped. They can put every filtration system known to mankind, and it's still going to be somewhat problematic. But with that said, I mean, look at Boeing, went all the way down to 90 bucks, rallied to 180. We discussed that. I thought it would trade back to 100, got to 114, and here we are at 180. So if you're looking for a place Sort of pull the ripcord in terms of taking profits. Have you been in this? And I'm sure Dave Portnoy is watching. One hundred eighty makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. Apparently um, this is his Delta favorite. Delta Tim show. mentioned, you know, we did talk about the it is his favorite show now, right? Yeah. Did we establish that? I think so. That's fantastic. Well say hi to Dave right now. How could it not be? And I heard should, by the way it should be. Dick Fosberry reached out. He's a huge fast money fan now. I totally digress. <laughs> Delta, I think, you know, sell upside calls, yeah, thirty one dollars is the level I think you can trade up to.
1: All right, coming up, one of the most heavily traded stocks on the Robinhood app, maybe getting a bit of a makeover, the potential deal that got these shares popping today. But first, Snap takes a stand on political posts, and that's got one of our traders selling out of his position in the stock. The full details when Fast Money returns.
0: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place?
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Big news out of Snap today. The social media giant drawing a line in the sand when it comes to President Trump's posts. Let's get to Julia Borson with all the details. Julia.
9: Well, Melissa, Snap shares dipped, though ended the day pretty much flat after news that the company is no longer promoting the president's content on its Snapchat Discover platform. The company is saying, quote, we will not amplify voices who incite racial violence and injustice by giving them free promotion on Discover. Racial violence and injustice have no place in our society and we stand together with all who seek peace love, equality, and justice in America. The president's account remains public, available for users who search for it or who subscribe to it, but Discover features curated content from trusted news sources. CEO Evan Spiegel earlier this week expressed similar thoughts in a company-wide memo to his employees saying, quote, we may continue to allow divisive people to maintain an account on Snapchat as long as the content that is published on Snapchat is consistent with our community guidelines, but we will not promote that account or content in any way. Now, President Trump's campaign manager responding to Snap with a statement saying, quote, Snapchat is trying to rig the 2020 election. He accuses Snap of promoting for- former Vice President Biden and suppressing President Trump. We have reached out to Snap for comment on this statement. It is worth noting here that those Snap shares did end flat for the day, but up 20 percent so far this year. Now, all this news from Snap comes after Twitter decided not to put warning. I'm sorry, decided to put warning labels on on some of the president's tweets, while well, in contrast, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg chose not to take any action on the president's uh, posts on Facebook, which many could see as inciting violence. Um, uh, that drew a lot of pushback there to Zuckerberg's decision there. Melissa, back over to you.
1: All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Now, if you at home had the same reaction that I had to this story, I personally thought when I read it, I didn't, had no idea that President Trump had a Snapchat account. I mean, I would not have thought. But it's interesting, Guy, because we had been saying all along that Facebook and Twitter, which had been so squarely in the debate over whether or not to flag content, Snap and Pinterest seemed to be winners because people thought they would be on the sidelines. But here we are.
2: Yeah, I had no idea either, clearly. I mean, I'm not, I'm not your target audience for Snapchat. I, I mean, there are a number of reasons to sell Snapchat here, and Steve can speak to it. I don't happen to think this is one of them, but the main reason is the run it's had and the fact that we're right up against the levels we saw on January 22nd, I believe. But I'll say this, you know, they're opening up their app to these third-party developers, and that was, I think, the model that WeChat made. So there's also a very compelling reason to stay with this. If you're asking me to do would you rather buy it or sell it, I'd actually stay with it here. I think there's further upside uh, for Snap,
1: self would you rather? I'll go to the king of self would you rather, Steve Grossman. You actually <laughs> um, sold your position <laughs> in Snap.
5: I, I did, and, and you know, I I, I kind of agree. I was I was a little on the fence on this one, but for all the reasons the guy just mentioned, so it's up twenty percent year to date. The RSI relative strength index is flirting with overbought. Uh, it is pushing up against that nineteen seventy five January high. So those are the negatives. Um, I do think it has the ability to break out, but I don't want to hear a political war for the next couple of months. And uh, President Trump has a pretty big uh, leg to stand on when he's throwing us, uh, slinging stuff at other companies. I'm actually thinking about buying Facebook because with the proceeds because I, I believe that Facebook has navigated this perfectly so far, standing in the neutral zone. Twitter and Snap are take, you know, placing their flag in the sand. Facebook is sort of above the fray or look to be above the fray at this point. Uh, so, But I, I'm out of the name. I had a good profit in it. I thought it was going to last a little bit longer, and I wish people the best of luck staying in it. It might very well Still be breaking out, but I chose to step aside.
1: So, Facebook navigating this perfectly because it is staying on the sidelines uh, largely. Um, Karen Feinerman, do you think that we know that for sure, or do you think the jury is still out as to whether or not there will be some blowback of some sort? Uh,
4: well, I, I thought there would have been actually more. Um more blowback than we've seen so far. So maybe it isn't over. But I, like you, on Snapchat didn't realize the president had an account. I sort of looked, all right, who are the Snapchat users? 90 percent of them are aged 13 to 24. So that's probably not his base. And I also can't help but think Evan Spiegel really enjoyed sort of putting Zuckerberg back on the hot seat again um, just the day after there was such news about uh, him addressing his employees in the town square. But of the two, I've definitely rather owned Facebook by a lot. I mean,
1: the the Trump campaign manager, part of the response is calling Evan Spiegel, the CEO of Snapchat, radical Snapchat CEO, Evan Spiegel. So this is this is really a strong response, Tim.
3: Well, it, it is. And, and I didn't know the president had a Snapchat uh, account either. Uh, I did know that guy had a Pinterest page. So um, <laughs> but but saying that, that Mark Zuckerberg is taking a neutral ground is is again i'm not sure that that's what's going on either um so uh, i i think there is a uh, there is a tactical approach but saying if 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 neutral was possible um i think everyone would want to be neutral um, but unfortunately, I don't think there is a neutral here. And I think that that's kind of how people seem to have to line up.
1: Yeah, neutral seems to be in the eye of the beholder these days. Um, coming up, Mall Madness, we'll tell you just what happened to one major mall owner. That is a true sign. It could be a true sign at the Times for retail. But first, new numbers on how many Americans would be willing to get a coronavirus vaccine and why it's hardly a shot in the arm for the drug makers. The exclusive details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The race for coronavirus vaccine heating up today as the White House narrows down its search for a coronavirus vaccine to five drug drug makers. Meg Terrell joins us now with the very latest. Meg.
10: Hey, Melissa. Well, those five companies reportedly being selected by the Trump administration as front runners for a COVID-19 vaccine are Moderna, AstraZeneca, J&J, Merck, and Pfizer. Now, that's according to The New York Times. But if they do get on the market, they may face an uphill battle. Exclusive new data from CNBC and Change Research show that just 38% of responders in a national poll say they definitely get a COVID-19 vaccine if it becomes available, while just 16% said they probably would. 21% said definitely not. And there's a political element to their attitudes as well. Democrats are much more likely to plan to get the vaccine at 56% versus just 18% for Republicans. 41% of Republicans said they definitely would not. Interestingly, the overall numbers actually aren't too different from the rates for seasonal flu vaccines. Just uh, less than half of adults typically are vaccinated against flu each year, according to the CDC, while the rate is higher, children, But the 54% of people who say they definitely or probably get a COVID-19 vaccine is still lower than the estimates of what's needed to reach herd immunity, where enough people are immune through vaccination or exposure to the virus to protect everyone else. Now that threshold is estimated at about 60 to 70%. And one bright spot, though, for the drug companies at least, if you can call it that, the poll also looked at approval of their performance during the pandemic. The numbers have been pretty bad all along, with a more than 70% disapproval rating nationally. But, Mel, in the second half of May, approval of drug companies' performance ticked up three percentage points. Now it's at 11%. Melissa?
1: All right, Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell, um, Guy Dami, the number of people who are not willing to get the vaccine, that doesn't necessarily surprise me. I don't know if I want to be first in line um, to get that shot in the arm. But in terms of the goodwill that drug makers have gotten by going for the vaccine, I mean, that could translate huge politically.
2: One would think, I mean, I, I agree with you on that, but is it going to manifest itself in a higher stock prices? I mean, look at what we've seen. Gilead, for example, I mean, the stock went from 77 to 85 and then went all the way back to 70. We've talked about Moderna uh, a number of times. That stock's bouncing now. So I don't necessarily think you can try to game this by buying stocks that have come up with a vaccine, in my opinion, because I don't know what it's going to mean necessarily to their bottom line. What I will say, though, is this. I still think big cap pharma is inexpensive, and I still think there are places to be in biotech. Quickly, we've done a decent job with a couple names, specifically Amgen. You know, we pointed out that it's going to have trouble at 245, the high we saw back in December, and that's what's happened. But Amgen is a name that sticks out to me. You're looking for an entry point, and in my opinion, if it gets down to 210, that's the name you buy with both hands.
1: By the way, Gilead getting an upgrade um, by the Lyrink analyst Jeff Porges uh, today uh, on a better outlook for remdesivir, the treatment for COVID-19. Uh, Tim, we've talked about this a lot. We, we simply really don't know about the economics in terms of how much drug makers, if anything, they will make on any of these treatments or vaccines.
3: Right. Well, and, and again, I, I, I would side with Guy just on valuations within the sector and where there's actually been underperformance relative to also the overall market. I, I, I like Merck, um, long Merck relative to, to kind of the peer group on valuation. But but once again, these, these these numbers, these announcements on the vaccine, on the testing, on, on treatments, um, I think, if anything, these, today's poll, uh, it tells you more about the veracity in which people are getting back out there and tells you more about potentially uh, the strength behind getting back to work and, and how quickly and how aggressively we could. I know we have no idea where we're going to be on a rebound, but it tells you that people are ready to just get back to it aggressively. and. Whether they have fear of the vaccine and being first in line or they just they're they're not buying and and, and they think that they're probably uh, already been exposed and they found out that they do have the antibodies. So, again, I hear that news and and I think of it more as an economic poll. And I think it's positive. Mm.
1: Coming up, deals in danger. Could the coronavirus crisis put some big money mergers in jeopardy? The two names that we're watching. Plus, Slack setting up to report earnings tomorrow. will tell you just how much higher options traders think the stock can surge. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back. It's Mall Madness here on Fast Money. Two big shopping center stories catching our eye today. First up, mall owner CBL Property is missing a nearly $12 million payment to bondholders. It's the first major U.S. mall owner to miss a debt payment since the coronavirus broke out. Um, Karen, the, the company said it did this in order to potentially renegotiate with uh, bondholders. W- what do you make of this?
4: Well, this one has actually been happening in slow motion for a while. And so some of the other mall sort of the lesser mole reads have really been trading very poorly before coronavirus. And now, you know, they're just uh, trading, I don't know, guy might know, hat size, something really small um, amount of money, but or drill bit size, maybe it is. So for me, I don't really want to play any of those. I looked briefly at Tanger today. That's the name we used to look at. Um, but that's probably not for me either. I'd have to go with something uh, it, much more, um, you know, A quality malt. So that would leave a Simon or a Taubman, and it probably probably go with a Talbot, but as we'll talk about in a minute, you're going to have a a lot of deal risk there. You know, we had a a
1: lot of um, green arrows in this small space today, Guy, and and Karen had mentioned Tanger. The CEO was speaking at a virtual um, NARIT conference, industry conference, and and said basically that traffic in North, I believe it, excuse me, I'm going to look at my notes, but traffic in a state that had recently reopened um, was back to 80% of pre-COVID levels. And so the stock was up 11%. I mean, you know, you got to wonder if that's an outlier because it's got outdoor malls. It's got this sort of, you know, low price point because it's outlet outlets and premium um, outlets. So it's the price points are a little bit lower. You, it's a perceived, um, you know, value play or you're smiling. I, so
2: I, what, <laughs> you're gonna no, I'm smiling because I have visions. You know, I've been to these outdoor malls and I find it fascinating. People walk around with luggage Not because they bought luggage, but because that's what they put all the stuff they bought in. It's fascinating studying human behavior. But this goes to something that I learned from Tim years ago. You know, when when the news gets less bad, that's when these stocks do their best. And I think that's what you're seeing Mm -hmm. now. Less bad doesn't mean by any stretch that things are good. But less bad is where you get your biggest moves, and I think that's what we're seeing right now.
1: South Carolina, by the way, was the state. I knew it was a Carolina. I didn't want to mix them up. Um, sticking with the malls, your next guest says there is a mega-mall merger that could be in jeopardy. Let's bring in Roy Barron of Westchester Capital Management. Roy, great to have you with us.
11: Hello, Melissa. Thanks for having me.
1: And we're talking about Simon Tabman, which is what Karen had brought up just, just minutes before. Um, what do you foresee with this deal? Because we haven't gotten any updates from the companies, either through filings or on earnings calls.
11: No, that's true. And, and in fact, uh, David Simon on his call was asked several times what the status is. Can you, give us any, can you give us an update? He said, I can't talk about it. People said, why can't you talk about it? He wouldn't comment either. Um, I, I think it's because it, it's an evolving situation. There, the, the mall sector in particular has been affected by, by the, uh, the, the pandemic and, and the, the crisis that we've had and the, and the economic turndown, particularly with the, with the doors closed. And as you saw from your, you know, the last the last mall company we were just talking about, but the, the malls are starting to open up. And the one thing I, I would say about about the Taubman deal is that the merger agreement is extremely tight. You know, you discussed Tiffany's last night as having a very tight merger agreement, but the Taubman deal specifically mentioned since it was since it was announced uh, after the beginning of the year this year that that any pandemic is not grounds for terminating the the uh, the agreement. So, and, including the results of of the pandemic. That was referred to in in the material adverse change clause, which which typically governs the grounds under which parties can terminate the transaction. So it carved out the effects of the pandemic from the material adverse change. It looks like it's very, very tight. Not to mention that David Simon has been basically chasing down Taubman for, for, I've heard, as long as 15 years right now. It's a very strategic transaction. It's a great fit. He's wanted to buy them forever. And, um, you know, the merger agreement is super tight.
1: So it's tight meaning that the deal gets done. Does it mean also that the deal gets done on the, neg- the pre-agreed pre- upon price?
11: That's unclear because, there, you know, there are often some other conditions or covenants that are involved as well regarding leverage, regarding the, the ability of the target company to draw down debt that may, uh, that may involve a change in the way that the companies typically operate. So, you know, the merger agreements are, are a legal contract. They try to protect the parties' rights and define the the obligations of the parties as well as possible, but you know two two people can look at an agreement and, and see two different things that 's why you know I, I got a, a research piece from UBS this morning about about the Tiffany deal, for example it was eleven pages long, and uh, the first page three quarters of it was content the other ten and a half pages were were legal disclaimers and and there probably would still be no agreement as to what what even that means, so you know the, the Although everybody thinks the agreement is tight, sometimes they are subject to interpretation. But also, sometimes the companies will just settle to, to avoid long, drawn-out litigation. Litigation can be expensive and, and very damaging to companies' operations.
4: It's Karen, let me ask you something. Um, I agree, settlement is a definitely an option here. But let's say things really unravel. What do you think the downside is of Taubman stock?
11: I think it, it depends on on how quickly things open. People have have spoken about Taubman. You know, the deal is is for is for fifty two dollars. People have spoken of, of downside of, of Taubman as possibly single digits. Um, it, it's, it it really depends on on you know. By the way, the, you know these these clauses, material adverse change clauses, have been held in court that um, there the the effect of these these of these uh, the downturns and and these effects from from the 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 events such as as pandemics and and natural disasters have to be durationally significant in order to be considered a material adverse change so it's unclear whether or not a mall closing down all of its operations for two or three months would be considered a mac for that purpose anyway even if even if it there's an extreme downturn in their in their financial results but having said that the research i've seen is is that uh if this continues for a long time the downside could be single digits but certainly would be below twenty dollars
1: Roy, great to speak with you. Thanks for your time.
11: Thank you very
4: much.
1: Roy Barron of Westchester Capital. Karen, how'd you trade this today?
4: I, I don't own any Taubman, but I did. I, you know, the discussion last night about Tiffany got me sort of reminiscing about being a risk arbitrageur, and I actually bought some Tiffany today. I think, um, uh, I, I think that, you know, it's now a $22 spread, uh, $21, $20 spread to the upside, uh, I don't know what to the downside, maybe $40 or so, but I think the likelihood of either a, a, cut, a negotiated deal for less than 135 or 135 are the most likely outcomes.
1: I want to be an arbitrageur when I grow up, right, Guy?
2: <laughs> Can't spell it, so it would be hard for me to be That's one. Nice I word. like to do things that I can spell. <laughs> I love
1: the laugh track. Uh, still ahead, ready nice to work. Track. White options traders are betting on big things. When Slack reports results tomorrow, we'll bring you the trade. And later, keeping up with appearances, the one beauty stock that got a big boost today, thanks to Kim Kardashian. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Checkout shares of Slack jumping to brand new all-time closing highs in today's rally. The company reporting results tomorrow. Options traders are betting the stock will work its way even higher. Mike Coe's got the action.
7: Mike. Hi, Melissa. So calls out traded puts actually by about 5 to 1 for the last 20 days on average. Actually, it did so again today. And right now, the options market is implying a move of just under 12% after they report earnings. Now, the biggest trade that we saw today was a big one and an interesting one. Somebody sold 7,000 of the January 2022 45 strike calls for just under $8.90 a piece and then bought 406,000 shares of stock for uh, just under 40 bucks, close to $39.00. Basically, this is a trade that's betting on volatility to compress. It's going to make the most money if the stock goes up to that $45 strike price by the January 2022 expiration, more than a year and a half away. However, this will also make money if the stock drifts higher and volatility comes in. And I think that's what this trader is betting on. Premiums are very high, and I think they think that things are going to begin to normalize there. And uh, they like being long the stock, apparently.
1: All right. Um, Tim, you know, it seems like the key here to this trade is that it's it's a very long time frame.
3: It's a long time frame, and that's clearly the secular trend here. So, uh, you know, I I think if you look at what we've seen in the entire space and work from home, et cetera, I I think um, valuations are difficult to to, to stomach. The momentum in these trades makes it very clear there's still a pathway. Yeah. Steve?
5: Yeah, the way I look at this thing is you go back to the IPO price, which was basically 26, traded straight up to uh, to 42, 42 42-ish. It's taken a year to get it back to this level right now, but it is at the epicenter of what people are reaching for. So when we opened up the show and we talked about value and tech, tech will always have a sweet spot for the masses. I think this one, although it's taken a year to get back to that level, seems like it's still in the bullseye to attract new investment dollars.
1: All right. Mike Coe, thanks for the action and be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, the one beauty stock getting glammed up today and reports that it's in talks with Kim Kardashian. We will reveal the name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Cody getting a pop today as it looks to deepen its ties with the Kardashian clan. The company saying it is in talks with Kim Kardashian to produce Kim Kardashian West, excuse me, to produce the cosmetics line. While it provided no details about a potential deal, the news comes after Cody bought a majority stake in Kylie Cosmetics created by Kylie Jenner, her sister, for $600 million. Um, I don't know why, but I feel like I should go to Tim for this. (laughs)
3: <laughs> look, collaboration with Kim Kardashian is, is certainly interesting. So um, but but I, look, let's get back to Cody and let's get back to uh, current and post pandemic dynamic here for beauty. It's It's been pretty ugly. Um, Cody went into this uh, over levered. So there's a turnaround plan that kind of got scuttled. Um, the good news is that KKR stepped in and there's a very competent, I think, you know, uh, someone that could navigate some of the moving pieces here. Um, this is good news. This isn't great news. This doesn't solve the problem, and we don't know much about it. But uh, two Kardashians is probably better than one.
1: <laughs> uh, Karen, beauty has all always been looked at as the small luxury. You know, times are tough. You buy a lipstick or you buy a, a, a lotion, and, and it makes you feel
4: better. <laughs> right. Right. Um. I, I mean, I was wondering, was was Kylie upset that Kim then did this? I don't know. I don't know <laughs> oh. if they're going to fight about it. I don't I don't really know. But, you know, or or she's like, hey, Cody overpays. You should do something with them also. I don't know. <laughs> to Tim's point, you know, there's a lot of debt here. I'd rather be in an Ulta um, mm. and, uh, you know, sort of wait for um, traffic to come back, All which right. it will at some point.
1: Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Steve Grasso.
5: Spirit Airlines. So, save. I mentioned it the other night. I've been on this one for a while. I, it, the stock had doubled, and I spoke about it at fourteen dollars. I thought it could double again. Stock was up twenty percent today. I think it's going to twenty-eight bucks. Spirit, save.
3: Tim. Banks still have a way to go, and Citibank has underperformed the rest of the group. Citibank, mom and dad feel better.
4: Karen. Yeah, I want to take some risk off the table from some of the, uh, you know, things are opening up trade that's worked. So you or I, out of the money calls, I'm going to sell some of those. Guy? fire-eyed Melms. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. We'll see you back here
1: tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.